All right, uh, quick announcement. Don't normally bring my phone to the pulpit, so this could lead to danger later. Um, but was, was just alerted that there is a white Ford SUV with uh, the license plate. I'm getting two different license plates here. I think it's 3738WF. And so uh, if, if that's your vehicle, the alarm keeps going off. And so if you, that is a white Ford SUV. So. All right. Now I'll put this in airplane mode. Very good. Well, good morning. I'm Steve Grissom, associate pastor here at South Shore Baptist Church. So thankful to be able to preach from God's word this morning. And I do want to just highlight real quick, um, it seems so bare up here. It, it's such a different Sunday than last Sunday. But we had a fantastic vacation Bible school. Just looking out there, your faces, the children, the workers. Um, I, I don't I hesitate to mention all the names because I'll forget, I'll forget one or two names, but Ann Cox and her crew. And so if you were a part of Vacation Bible School in any way, uh, don't hate me for this, but please stand real quick. We just want to thank you. If, if you had any part in Vacation Bible School, thank you so much. It was such a great week, a great week to invest um, not only in our children, but in the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, just the theme that just keeps going through my mind is that Jesus is trustworthy and that he changes everything. Also, uh, those songs that can't get out of my mind, but that's okay. Well, I'm excited to share from God, God's word this morning. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 11. So if you can turn there, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1044. As I said, it's, it's a privilege, uh, it's an honor to study God's Word together. Just a few weeks ago, in talking with a newer individual to SSBC, they, ha they had this to say. They said, I'm thankful the Word of God ex is explained in a book-by-book, verse-by-verse style at SSBC. And they're pretty new, and I was thankful to hear that comment. Over the course of the summer, uh, you've noticed there's been different people here at the pulpit. There's five different individuals over the course of 12 weeks who have different personalities, heights, and hairlines. But the thing that remains the same is that we approach preaching the same way. Preaching God's Word in its proper context focusing on Christ as Savior and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text so that we can follow the truth wholeheartedly. So that's our focus this morning as we look at God's Word from Colossians 3. We're reminded that Paul wrote this for us so that we might see the glory of Christ. So I'm thankful that we can study the Word together. So hear the word of our King, Colossians 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now... Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have been put off the old self, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious, gracious God and Father, this is your word. This is the word that we need this morning. This is a strong word to the church at Colossae. And perhaps we're tempted to skip past one of these difficult texts. But as we look at your word, we're reminded that we need it. Not just our neighbor, our coworker, or friend, or family member, but Lord, we need it. We need it, and we need to follow it wholeheartedly. So Lord, help us to see Christ as in all, and before all, and with us today. Lord, as we look at your word, we're thankful for how it opens our eyes to who we once were, that we once were walking in darkness on a hell-bent path, ready for destruction, but you have opened our eyes to see and to believe. Even now, Lord, we struggle with sin, so Lord, help us to find and to see the forgiveness that comes in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. So Lord, as your people... Would you make us more like Christ today? Would you focus our, set, our sights on Jesus, who is the king over all? Jesus, who is our life. Lord, let that be said of us individually and of us as a church. Lord, we thank you for all these things. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot in these 11 verses, and we're going to try to tackle them a verse at a time. But as I was thinking about these verses in Colossians, I, uh, a, a story came to mind. Sheena and I love to do several things together. We love to have people over for a meal. We love to go on hikes. We love to play tennis. But there is one thing that we do not do well together, and that is keeping plants alive. <laughs> Our thumbs are not green. I don't know what color they are, but they are not green. With that being said, Sheena bought a unique plant when we lived in Alabama called the resurrection plant. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this plant. It's also called the Rose of Jericho, but it's for people like Sheena and I where you don't have to water it a whole lot. It's a unique plant that, um, that can survive without water. The plant appears dead, but provide water, and within a couple of hours, it will begin to revive and turn green. Within a day or so, it'll be fully unfurled and resurrected into a fern-like plant. I remember that plant at our house in Alabama. It looked dead as can be. And then a few days later, it would come to life. Well, in today's passage, we read and respond to how the resurrection has impacted us as believers. 
how we've gone from death to life. Not only in our beliefs, but Paul is concerned about our day-to-day interactions. We who were once dead and dried up have been raised to life, living as witnesses of what Christ has done and continues to do so, not just in the church of yesterday, but in the present. The Apostle Paul understand what, understands what it means to be changed by Christ. And he wants the believers to understand the power of the Gospels, not just for yesterday, but again for the present. So what does it mean to believe the Gospel today for you? Well, to be changed by Christ is to live for Christ. We sang about that. Christ who is our life. We just sang those very words. But we are to be renewed by Christ. We don't only believe the gospel. We don't just believe the gospel years ago or last week. But we believe the gospel today. And we remember Christ in our thoughts and in our actions. This is a challenging word from the Apostle Paul to the church. And it's a challenging word perhaps for us today. So there's three phrases that I want to guide us as we respond, respond in action, maybe in repentance, maybe in belief for the first time as we think about these first 11 verses. So the first phrase is to pursue heavenly things. Not stranger things, but heavenly things. The first verse of this chapter sets the tone and it reminds the church, it reminds us of our identity It begins with a declaration. What has Christ done? And what has he done on our behalf? So many times when I get discouraged, when I get overwhelmed, I'm looking inward at what I have done or what I have said. But instead, we are to look to Christ. What has Christ done? So first, verse 1 is foundational for us. It's so helpful for us as we look at the imperatives. So it's easy for us to say, okay, we need to do this or not do that. And there's a lot of imperatives in this section. But if we look past verse 1, we'll start off on the wrong foot. So let's break down verse 1. It says, so, okay, believers, okay, followers of Christ. So if you have been raised with Christ. Now that word if maybe in your mind translates some uncertainty or doubt. So that might not be the best translation here. It's better translated as since. Since you have been raised with Christ. It's like Paul is saying, since you have been raised with Christ, everything changes. This is a game changer. As we sang in VBS, Jesus changes everything. That's what Paul is saying here. Since you've been raised with Christ... This parallels what we saw last week, what uh, Larry said in Colossians 2. If you died with Christ to elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? So just like last week, our actions matter. So if you died to to the old way, don't go back to the old way. Second phrase, Paul says, seek the things above. We're to seek after new things. We have new desires, new motives, a new direction. If you're in Christ, if you were going this way before, now you have a whole new direction. Now you're on a new path, a new trajectory. And so he says, seek the things above. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, what, is, what are those things? What am I to be seeking? Well, he outlines it for us in the very next phrase. What you are to seek is Christ. Christ is above, seated at the right hand of God. So again, he says, you don't just believe in Christ, 
and then stop believing, you follow Christ. There's a famous book called In His Steps. And In His Steps talks about how do we imitate Christ? How do we walk in His way? So as we seek the things above, the realm above is not something that we have to conjure up. Christians have knowledge of the heavenly realm through our faith in Christ. So there's a lot of books written about heaven, written about heavenly things, and they're not necessarily always rooted in Scripture. And so David Garland wrote a commentary on this, and he's spot on when he writes, We do not attain knowledge of of the heavenly realm by using other mediators, by pursuing visionary sideshows, by submitting to legalistic decrees, by mortifying our bodies, or through astrology. These are not the ways of pursuing heavenly things. Rather, God's Word says we have access to the heavenly realm through Christ. I was talking to someone uh, yesterday, and they said, I'm so thankful for in your message you emphasize the word in Christ. Again, Paul emphasizes those words in Christ and through Christ who reigns over all and our lives, again, should be ruled by him. This is where Paul is taking us. With verse 1 as the foundation of the passage, we move on to verse 2 where he says, again, the imperative, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We wake up in the morning and our minds are racing. I need to do this. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to email this person. I need to do all these things. And so, so quickly our minds can move to the earthly things. But we are called to seek the things above and we are also called to set our minds on the things above. To set your minds on the things above is not an easy task. When our minds wander off into a sea of forgetfulness, you think to yourself, What was I just doing? Or even worse, into clouds of chaos. Or if you just forget what you're supposed to be doing altogether. Our minds can be filled with intrusive thoughts. I don't want to think that. So how can we set our minds on the things above? Here's some helpful diagnostic questions. Maybe one question is more helpful to you than in others. I think they're going to be up here on the screen. These are some questions that help... Are you aware of your anxiety? This isn't necessarily something that you are producing. Maybe it's brought on by uh, someone else or a circumstance. Or are you grabbing for power? Or are you seeking to escape and or isolate? Are you trying to keep people happy? Are you racing in 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 your own mind with no end in sight? These are things for us to evaluate as our minds wander off into earthly things. Then as you become aware of what your motives might be, here's five more questions to guide you as you apply the gospel and as you trust God. These are not questions, I don't see these questions as questions to hurl guilt on you, but these are questions to guide us. Are you looking to scripture? Are you running to the good shepherd? Are you walking with a church body? Are you asking other believers to help you fix your mind on what is true? Sometimes we say, I can't do this alone. You're exactly right. You can't do it alone. How are we walking with others? So as you set your mind on things above, it's vital that you are aware that the devil wants to deceive you. He wants to distract you. 
and to fill your mind with confusion in order to destroy you. This is why it's vital that we prepare for battle and to fill our minds with what is true. To fill our minds with what is pure. Because the truth can fade and the temptations will surround us. As I thought about this verse and setting our minds on the things above, I thought about the importance of creating godly habits. Like reading the word together. Let me encourage you to get on that Zoom call. I know it's going to be late tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Even if you haven't been reading the, the book, as we encourage one another to study God's, God's Word together. Then I thought about a habit that most of us do each and every evening, especially on Sunday evening. What's that habit that you do? Probably the last thing on Sunday evening. Anybody? Someone say, set your alarm clock. Sunday night, you set your alarm clock. Well, that, maybe that's the old way of saying it. If you're Larry Cantor, you tell Alexa to set your alarm clock. But that, that, you do that so that you can prepare for the next day. So that you can crush your goals or just wander through the day. Whatever it might be. But you set your alarm clock to prepare for the next day. So likewise, it's important to set your mind on things above. Because temptations are coming. You get to the workplace and there's 17 problems already facing you. You get onto the highway and uh, it's red for miles. Um, Traffic is already there. And so it's important to set your mind on things above. So set your mind to prepare for the upcoming day as, as we're led by the Spirit. One of the ways to do this is by filling your mind with the truth, reminding yourself of your identity in Christ. This is what verses 3 and 4, this is why verses 3 and 4 are so key. Before we get to the imperatives of don't do this, don't do this, don't miss verses 3 and 4. Let's reread verse 3. Paul says, for you died. The old man, the old woman died. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I just read 12 words that can breathe life into your weary soul. Let me read those again. Read those words again. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We think our lives are intertwined in a mess, in a situation, but our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Let me encourage you to write those words down, to meditate on those words. As Pastor Cody says, put it on your mirror and marker. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Those are 12 words of assurance when anxiety weighs you down. Those are 12 words to remind you of your salvation when the enemy comes calling. Those are 12 words that remind you of God's mercy is more than the weight of our sin. William Barclay brought some historical background into the picture for me when studying this passage. He writes of the Greek customs and how they relate to following Christ. Barclay Barclay said, Long ago, when a man was dead and buried, the Greeks very commonly spoke of him as being hidden in the earth. But the Christian had died a spiritual death in baptism, and he is not hidden in the earth, but hidden in Christ. It was the very experience of the early Christians that the very act of baptism wrapped a man or woman bound with Christ. 
There's also another word play here uh, for the Greek nerds that I, I wanted us to point out here. The Greek audience would have recognized the particular word Paul used for wisdom immediately. The false teachers called their books of so-called wisdom apocryptine, from which the adjective apocryphos comes. That's the Greek word. And it's as if Paul is saying, for with you, for with the... the the, um, the Greek audience, the treasures of wisdom are hidden in your secret books. But for us, Christ is the treasury of wisdom, and we are hidden in him. So again, we are hidden in Christ. Our treasure is in Christ. Now look with me at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul transitions. It's not just about what Christ has done for me, but what has Christ done for you? You will appear with him in glory. That's a hallelujah. That's an amen. We will appear with Christ in glory. This is the life of Paul. Paul calls Christ his life. It's not surprising considering what he said elsewhere. In Galatians, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What did he say in Philippians? You could quote it before I do. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But Paul not only calls Christ his, his life, but he says, church, he is your life. If he is your life, that changes everything. Paul knows what Christ has done. And Christ should consume our lives. This shows not only our commitment to Christ but our passion for following Christ. Sometimes you might hear of someone speak of another person and their devotion, their commitment with statements like, I tried to use names that are not in our congregation, just FYI. For James, there's got to be a James, but music is his life. For Samantha, swimming is her life. For Patrice, hockey is his life. See what I did there? For Jasmine, School is her life. This is what we might say about someone else when they're utterly devoted to that. But for the Christian, though, we can say and should delight in saying, Christ is our life. Christ is my life. Not only do we praise Christ for what he has done in the past, but what he is doing today. We pursue Christ because we will be with him in glory. This is a future reality for Paul. It's a future reality for us. And this is why we pursue heavenly things. Now the second point, we are to put away the old self. Putting away the old self is a continual action for the Christian. We don't just say, well, last week was a good week or yesterday was somewhat decent. But we're continually putting away the old man or the old woman because we're continually drawn to our fleshly nature. If Christ is our life, if your identity is found in him, we walk according to who we are in Christ. And as Christians, we have an assignment to glorify God, to follow God. And that includes positive disciplines in our faith, as Vincent will preach about next week. It also includes reading the word and praying and giving. But it also includes putting to death what is evil, what does not coincide with God's character. So what are we to put to death? This is where the passage gets very easy. The scripture makes it clear, 
Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. It's like Paul just jumped up and stomped on their toes. This is a difficult thing to do. It reveals our desire for more. This list is extensive, and it shows how deceptive sin is when it sneaks into our lives. But don't see this list as, yeah, this is, this is the list of the sins that the world is facing. This is the list of the sins that, that are out there in the bushes that we need to be aware of. These are sins that are invading and impacting the church family among the church. We may be surprised by sin. We may even say, as I heard someone say recently, what is going on? What is going on when we hear of sin that is devastating those we love? It's sad. It's upsetting. Why is sin so destructive and why do we not turn from it? I think part of it is that we don't see sin as serious. We see it as, well, that's maybe not the best thing to do. But sin is serious, and we need to see its seriousness long before sin is knocking on, the hearts, on our heart's door. John Owen, my last quote of the sermon, trust me. John Owen famously warns Christians by saying, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. His book, The Mortification of Sin, is based on Romans 8.13. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Owen then gives several practical directives in his book. I think there's like nine or ten, but here's just a few of them. John Owen says, diagnose sin's severity. Be convinced of your guilt. Avoid occasions that incite sin and meditate on God's glory. In other words, see sin as serious. Sin is like a poisonous, aggressive snake. Kevin reminds me of a story. Kevin Cohane happened to come over to the house. We were getting ready to go out for lunch and we popped our heads in the garage next to the Next to our house, I was coming out, and we were in the garage for a minute, and he said, Steve, did you see that? I said, see what? That snake, it crawled right up the wall into the attic. You know, it took me about a week to get back into the garage after that. <laughs> because I don't, I, I'm not a snake identifier. I don't know if he was nice or not, but as my dad used to say, and still does say, the only good snake is a dead snake. And so sin is like uh, an aggressive, poisonous snake. He's long gone. I hope he's, uh, I don't know where, uh, somewhere, Western Mass. <laughs> but, but sin is serious. We, we, don't, we don't stay around. We don't linger. But we see sin for what it is. So look at this list of verse 5. I don't have to describe this list for you. You know it, but I'll just give you a quick description. There are deadly features of sin. Paul outlines them here as sexual immorality. This is a general term that refers to any kind of sexual sin. Impurity, 
another general term of moral corruption, but often applied to sexual sins. Lust. Jesus spoke about lust as well, but this refers to sexual sin and the way our hearts desire for what is forbidden. Evil desire refers to our basic human inclination towards sin and rebellion. And greed, it refers to an inappropriate desire for more, whether it's money or something else. These sins lead us to worship created things like sex and money as ultimate things. The culture will fill your mind. Just turn on the TV, open your phone, drive down the interstate. The culture will fill your mind with distorted views of sex and money. These are not gods to worship. They are gifts to enjoy and use as outlined in God's word. These sins could be a sermon in and of themselves. These sins in society are not packaged as destructive sins. Nobody says, just try a little, it's good for your health. They're not packaged as destructive sins by society. They are sold as services that provide security. That's what they are sold as. Do they provide security? They do not. They do not. Pornography and money-making schemes are billion-dollar industries. I didn't have to look that up to figure that out. Because they prey on your desires for comfort, for pleasure, for love, and for security. They prey on those desires. Sin will not satisfy you. It will destroy you, but not just you and those you love. So Paul understands the severity of sin because of verse 6. And because of the rebellion of humanity, what does Paul say? God's wrath is coming upon those who persist in their sin. The wrath of God is to be taken seriously. It's not a, a movie title or a slogan that we throw around, but it's the real consequences for sin that's ignored. Those who walk in Christ, though, we don't ignore sin. We've been changed by God's grace to repent of sin. It doesn't mean that we cease sinning, but when we sin, we repent. Paul's emphasis for the church at Colossae and for us today is that the rebellion and impurity of the past should not describe disciples who follow Jesus today. So if you are a follower of Christ, you once just as we sang about earlier, you once walked in the sins of verse 5, but you are no longer living in these sins. You're not marked by them. Our desires are not for fleshly or worldly appetites, but for living for Christ. Verse 7 says, we once walked in our sin, but what do we do now? We walk in response to our Savior. Then we come to two key words in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, put away. But now, but now, put away. Put away what? All the following. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language from your mouth. Who is Paul writing? He's writing the church. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and filthy language from your mouth. Well, that eliminates all driving in and out of Boston. <laughs> well, we're to put away these five destructive vices 
because they reveal actions that do not trust God. They reveal our desires for control, for self-centered agendas, and for people-pleasing pursuits. Anger and these other sins are all cousins to pride. They all show our arrogant nature. And as followers of Christ, our desire is not to explode and leave scars on relationships, but to encourage and to build up relationships. Well, number three, putting on the new self. Not only to put off the old self, now Paul says this is what it means to follow Christ. Vincent's going to pick up on this next week as we see what the positive attributes are of putting on the new self. But here, as followers of Christ, what does it look like to put on the new self? We're not characterized by lies, by deception, and by manipulation. No, we are characterized by what? The truth. So if we lie to one another and deceive each other, what makes us different than those outside the faith? Paul tells us to put off the old self and its practices. He's referring to the old ways that we used to walk in. Does this mean that it'll be easy? Of course not. We learn sinful habits. We know people who encourage these habits and practices. And we're tempted by our fleshly desires. But our sinful desires, our destructive practices should not supersede our desire to speak truthfully to one another. The Christian community is the community we belong to and the one that where we speak the truth to each other, even when it's hard, because the truth has changed us and brought us together. Ephesians 4:25 says, "Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another." So how do we avoid lying? And how do we avoid practices of the old man, the old woman that we used to walk in? Verse 10 gives us the answer. Put on the new self. We're to walk in the identity of who we are in Christ. Walk in the identity of who you are in Christ. It's like when you get a new shirt or maybe new shoes. You're excited to walk in them. My children know I enjoy a new pair of shoes. Maybe a little too much. They said, Dad... Are those another pair of new shoes? Well, I mean, I'm delighted to walk in them or to run in them. Well, here Paul is telling us, put on the new self. Walk in the new way. Walk in the way of God. God has begun a new work when he saved you. And he continues this work as we are changed by him. Our society loves second chances on life or a new beginning this notion reminded me of a song in the popular musical Hamilton. Perhaps you've heard of it. In the song, Alexander Hamilton, don't worry, I'm just going to read the words. You hear these words, heading for a new land. In New York, you can be a new man. In New York, you can be a new man. Well, you can be a new man or woman not by making your name in New York or Boston or by climbing golden ladders that promise freedom. How can we be a new man? How can we be a new woman? By knowing Christ. By following Christ. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? To seek the things above, you must know the one who came from above. When you know Christ, you are made new and know the power of God's love. I can say without a shadow of doubt that I know God's love 
Because while I was a sinner, while I am a sinner, Christ died for me. So let me encourage you to turn from your sin, to trust in Christ today. Jesus Christ was not just a man, a good man, but he's prophet, perfect, priest, and king. He is fully man and fully God. So follow him today. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. This is the message of Scripture. And the Scripture says that we are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. This means that we are a work in progress. The change is progressive. And the change reminds us that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. He's teaching us to walk in the ways of Jesus. We're renewing our minds as we follow God. We're continually teaching one another the truth. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't turn to their message and agendas. But, what does it say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We determine what thinking we need to change as we live for Christ. Oftentimes I think, I know what thinking they need to change. But what, cha- what thinking do I need to change as I follow Christ? As we close out this section of Scripture, I think about Colossae, the city where Philemon lived, the city that had a thriving church in it that was about to be impacted by this powerful letter of the gospel. They needed to be reminded of the gospel. They needed to be reminded that they could repent of their sins. Maybe you need to be reminded today that you can turn to Christ and be cleansed. Paul knew the Christians at Colossae were at one time strong in their faith. But here's the thing. They had become vulnerable to deception. And we can become vulnerable to deception as well. He wrote to remind them of the truth and to embrace the gospel. How do we respond to the gospel? We've read and responded to a lot of theological truths this morning. Hang in there with me. One last verse. Verse 11. Powerful verse. It says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul wants to use this large statement, this all-encompassing statement to say, if you're in Christ... You're in Christ. All we have is Christ. This is a description of how Christ breaks down barriers. He breaks down barriers between the Jews and the Greeks, between New Englanders and Midwesterners. In Christ, he breaks down barriers between the cultured people and the uncultured. He breaks down barriers between class and class. It made me think of a VBS song we we learned on day five called Everyone. In the song, it says, Through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. So through Christ, you can be forgiven. You can be reconciled. And because of Christ, we pursue heavenly things together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to pursue Christ. Help us to seek the things above, to set our minds on the things above because honestly, tomorrow morning, our minds will be in five different places. So where our faith is weak, Lord, turn our eyes to you. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who needs to trust in Christ for the first time. 
Lord, I pray that they will pray, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I pray for others here this morning who are following Christ, but maybe there are sins that are entangling them. They are nagging sins. Lord, help them not to be caught up by deception. But Lord, I pray that they will pray to you. They need to pray to you. I need to pray to you before we even come to one another. So Lord, help us to seek you and help us to turn our faces to you. So Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing, O Lord. Lead us by your spirit to follow Christ and to trust you along the way. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are two sacraments that the church is called to practice, baptism and the Lord's Supper. This morning, we are celebrating the Lord's Supper together to remember Christ's sacrifice as our sin-bearing, wrath-absorbing substitute by his death. And we celebrate to look forward to his return to earth. Let's consider 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. It says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, We should not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. I just want to say that those of us here this morning who have not repented and believed and trusted in Jesus as the only way to heaven and your Savior from sin and have not submitted to him as Lord we ask that you do not participate in this ordinance because it is only to be practiced by those who trust in and follow Jesus. And those of us who are in Christ here this morning, let us examine ourselves to ensure that we don't partake of the Lord's Supper lightly and that we are surrendering to God's work of sanctification in our lives. Let's take a few moments of silence, shall we?
Let's pray together. Eternal God, you are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are holy, just, merciful, and loving. And we thank you, Jesus, for giving your body over to be punished so that we could be saved from the punishment we deserve due to our sin. And though you are not physically present, Jesus, in the bread and the cup, you are spiritually present with us this morning as we partake. And as we do so, once again, Lord, we just want to say that we are incredibly grateful that you have paid for all our sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. And we look forward to your physical return. Amen. Would you please open the bread at the end of your container? Jesus said in Matthew 26, 26, or it's recorded rather, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take it and eat it. This is my body. Let's partake. Let's carefully open the cup. Matthew twenty six twenty seven says, Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink together. So, Lord, as we depart this building after partaking of your supper together as one body, we pray that you would empower us to put on the new self. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you and has observed us partaking of your supper, we pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Amen. 